So today we've got two guys speaking, one from Durban, one from Zululand. Uh, Ross Rogers, if you could come forward, please, first. Give this guy a bit of encouragement. Ross, I haven't told Ross this, but after you've spoken, I'm going to interview you, okay? Because not everybody here knows you. He leads a great church called uh, Olive Tree. Got a very impressive family. But I don't want to interview beforehand because I don't want to steal your thunder, what you might be talking about. So what I've asked him to do is let us know a little bit of his story and some of the lessons that he's learned along the way. And uh, uh, love what God's done in your life, buddy. And the uh, floor is yours. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you. It is uh, such a privilege to speak here. You know, you, when you a bolt-on like I am, I'm coming in late into the NCMI story, and, and you, you see a group of people who are, have planted this many churches. Some of you go to, have been posted in places that God would have to write on the wall and then drive me there to plant a church and, and you oaks are happy. Uh, there's, there's a level of courage in this room and legacy and, and just grace that, is, that just has to be commended. So it is an absolute privilege to tell a little bit of my story. Uh, Grant will cut me short if necessary, but uh, I, uh, I was paging through Judges, which is, let's face it, it's an odd book. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just hard. Theologically, it's a disaster. It's like, how do you handle that? And of the worst of them, Samson. I mean, what do you do with him? He, you know he's a type of Christ, but flip, he is hard work. And, uh, and I was reading through, and it was just random. And uh, there's a moment where he's Samson, so he kills a lion, as you do. Now, now just for a moment, I come from a game farm. I'm, I'm a Zimbabwean grew up in, in game area. Uh, when I was sort of 14, I'd hunted my first buffalo. When I was 15, I'd hunted my first lion. Like, I, I get that world. And we had, a, we had an enclosure. It was about two Ks by two Ks. We had three lion in there. And I had to feed them. From when I was 10, I'd go out, shoot something. We'd take it, track it over to the lion. But there was a lioness with the male and the other female who was psycho. And so what would happen is you would come to feed her, and she'd be like 10, 15 meters away, and you knew it was going to happen, but she would still charge you, and she'd come straight at you, and by the time she got from, I don't know, the 10th row to you, you had just flinched. So when I read a story about an oak who rips apart a lion with his bare hands, it's, it's hard to believe. But you start to realize... I mean, this like had a power of God, a strength that is pretty hard to get your head around. And it was his death. So as I, I was thinking about my leadership lessons, Samson says something, he, he quotes a riddle. And uh, he says, out of the strong came the sweet, basically. And the, the lion died, you know the story, bees found it and they, they started making honey and he takes the honey out, which he shouldn't have done, but, but he's Samson. And, uh, and he says, out of the strong comes the sweet. The truth is, it was out of the death of the strong that the sweet came. 
And, um, and if I were to tell my leadership lessons, it would fit into two statements. He says, out of the strong come the sweet. It's out of the death. And the second thing that, that would be true for my journey would be, I mean, honestly, how do you get 300 foxes, tie their tails together, and set stuff on fire? Like, how does that even happen? But the assumption is that Solomon took that example to tell the story about the foxes that ruined the vineyards, because the other theory that foxes ruined vineyards by digging them up is just makes no sense. There's probably someone theological in here who's going to take me to the cleaners. But anyway, so I, I took over Olive Tree. I was at Grace Family Church um, in 2008 in a perfect storm of grace. Uh, I was clueless, 30 years old. In fact, I had no right leading a church. It was disgusting how clueless I was. And, uh, and I was just undercooked. And uh, I went in to take over a church. There was an Israel supporting anti-replacement theology, most of you folks, uh, fighting for... The first time I went there, they were, they were blowing shofars and singing in Hebrew. It, it was so bizarre to me. And I brought about 10 mates, and uh, the church had about six other young people, so they thought revival had broken out and Jesus was coming back. And, and uh, the church was in pain, though. Um, the pastor's wife had been brutally attacked and raped by a psychopath in the Durban area. Uh, they had dwindled from about 400 people in their heyday to about 90, and they were desperate. So they would take anyone. And uh, I went across there, and where their church was, was um, it was next to the McDonald's on the N3 as you come in. And I don't have the grace to lead a church there. You have to be as gifted as Stan to lead a church there. And, uh, and one of my mates who I'd led to the Lord recently, he came to church kind of to support me. And uh, he came the first time, and I saw his eyes were like this. And then he came back the second time, and as he was walking out, I saw something sticking out of his, out of his shirt to the back. So I, I tapped him and felt this hard thing. I said, what's that? He said, no, I brought my nine more. And I, I thought to myself, I'm probably not going to reach too many people in this venue. And so I, I had a conversation with him, and, uh, and he said, you know, we need to move this church. And he had a house near Florida Road, and he said, there's a, there's a church down there, and there was a Frenchman who owned it. And so we approached him, said, do you want to sell? He said, no. We approached the, the guy who was, who was renting there. He said, do you want to leave? He said, no. So we had a prayer meeting, and then he left, and he sold, and, and we moved in. There's there just a grace. And we were positioned so well. And I remember the, the first Sunday, we told everyone they had to bring their own chairs. We dug up half the place. It was messy. And uh, again, I'm like, I'm starting. I've been a youth pastor. I still think like a youth pastor. And, and I'm preaching, and there are a whole 140 people there, and it's because I've invited a renter crowd. And in about the sixth row, there's an Aussie oak. And he's staring at me the whole way through, but not lovingly. <laughs> and at the end of the service, I did an altar call, and he gave his life. He walked up to me at the end, and he said to me, he said, I find your preaching weak. 
He said, I, I told my wife that I can't be part of this church, but I'll go for her friends. But today, the Holy Spirit touched my life, and I gave my life to Jesus. And that trickle started a river. And uh, I remember one year, God told me, take an altar call every single day until Easter, which is a bit random. I'm sure I should have taken more. And 160 people gave their lives over that like, period of time. There was just a grace. It was just beautiful. There were a few things that, that gave us strength. There was a position. Theologically, Rob Rufus had just come to Durban and blown it up. And, uh, and I was... Hey, let's praise that there's an incredible grace on his life. But, but there was carnage everywhere. And uh, I was clueless. So the grace message was wonderful. And I had one guy who was leading the charge. We were seeing healings left, right, and center through the guy, Stu Morrison. And he was kind of pulling us along the grace message. And we were preaching the grace message in a grace season and literally sucking people in with it. It was, it was one of those moments that you do when you're young. You just go for it. There was a few other things. Um, when, when we started... I brought about 40 of my mates across, and uh, Glenridge was in a rough stage. Uh, Rory was tired and burnt out, and a lot of other guys came across, and we started to build a church, I guess, with mates. And uh, I, I probably got to about 150 of my best friends. I was building church with tons of mates. We would have men's camps that looked more like youth camps because the youth pastor was leading the church. And uh, I mean, I remember going to a men's camp. There was a boxing ring over there. Oaks were getting knocked out. There was a guy who was doing like bicep against tricep. You know, you know when you pull it down and, and the oak smashed himself in the nose and there was blood. And like everywhere I looked, it was a, it was a youth camp for old men who were re grabbing hold of their, their youth again. And there was just mana stuff going on everywhere. Now, I'm laboring a few points, but it, it'll make sense in a moment. We were raising up leaders, and, and we could be accused of a lot of things, but one thing we couldn't be accused of is, is that we didn't milk the season. We just ran. We, we went from one service to two to three. Every six months, we were launching services. We put a church in a bar. That was interesting. We, we planted sites. We, we decided we needed to do something for the city, so we did a, like a recon of the whole city. What, what does the city need? We found out there were 4,300 and something NGOs, and about 3,200 of them were terrible. And we realized, man, if we're going to help, we're going to build a thing. We called it We Are Durban to help upskill NGOs. We got into Florida Road, which was becoming a drug den. That's really what was happening. And, uh, and I had the commissioner, ex-commissioner of police in, and we did stings on the drug stuff, and we brought a UIP in. We were just charging and strong. We had Oaks come to our men's camps. I remember a guy, Ross um, Lester, and, and he said to me afterwards, after Jeff Mayer had just finished speaking, so he used to run the drugs thing, and he'd given his life to Jesus, and he said to me, I've never been to a church like this. This is just weird. All your mates. But my strengths, our strengths, became our weaknesses. So then what happened is, because I was undercooked, and 
My wife sat me down the one day. I'll throw a few Bible verses in if you're okay. And, uh, and she said to me, she said, I can't carry on like this. My wife's quite a remarkable lady. She, she's putting special needs school in every city in South Africa at the moment. I basically call her sir. Uh, <laughs> but she said to me, she said, uh, the three to five nights ministry a week, two kids, the pace that you go at, she said, I'm an introvert, you're an extrovert, and right now I don't want to be a pastor's wife. I love you, but I can't do this. And I, in my infinite wisdom, turned to her and said, but you knew what you were getting yourself into when we got married. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to help some of the young guys here. My elders sent me on a, on a sabbatical. And uh, just to those who are going to go through tough marriage spaces, um, I went to about eight pastors, maybe yeah, around there. And most pastors are utterly terrible at marriage counseling, just so you know. And uh, eventually I went to a lady, Mads, some of you know, she was phenomenal. And, she, and then I, I went to Bethel, and I love Bethel. The, the, the presence of God in that, in that church is unbelievable. It was so much so good. But their marriage course, I think, could be illegal. It's uh, so far off the spectrum. And anyway, we, we did that. I came back. I read a book, Keep Your Love On. I did a thing called Amago. really helped. And four years later, I, go, I went, this is the best thing that could ever happen. Amazing. But the pain of that journey started to just domino effect. So when you've got 150 best mates you do church with, and then you have to disappear to fix your marriage and raise your kids again, and you start to lose contact. And then uh, my, my site leader in Salt Rock, uh, he decided that it would be a good idea to go into trading with his congregation's personal finances, and he lost about 1.2 million, so I had to go fix that, which was easy. And then, and then I had a youth or a kids church pastor do some stuff with, with a kids church leader, but she may have been in kids church. I'm not sure. It was just, there was just carnage everywhere we looked. It just went one to the next, to the next, to the next. And, um, and what I started to realize is just, man, the things that are strong are the things that are killing me. I'm now, I woke up the one day and realized that I'm not doing ministry with my mates anymore. It's just killing me. And uh, I had, along the journey, we went on a, a woman's thing. We appointed a couple after Julian Adams had prophesied. And, uh, and this couple felt called, and she was the stronger one, and, and she led the site. And, and you must know, our strength was we reached men. Men brought families. That was the vibe. But now we've got a stronger woman leader, and at that time, Me Too was happening, and, and so we had to go on a, on a ladies' journey. And I just want to say, I'm sure none of you are this dwarf, but 
If you ever have to go on a theological journey that is tightly attached to identity or emotion, don't sit with a bunch of your strongest ladies and say, tell me how you felt under my leadership. <laughs> and then suggest that we go through the texts on husbanding and wiving and tell us what you think because theology and feeling just doesn't go well together. We, we just did some phenomenally dumb stuff. Like, like we were talented, creative in the spaces we went to in stupidity. And so we had that. And then on top of all of that, I remember the day that one of my mates sat me down and he said to me, he said, Ross, I love you and I love our church, but it's either you or my wife because of that theological journey. This is just pain everywhere. Our property, which is utterly amazing, it's right on Florida Road, right on the edge, is amazing for so many things. It's also phenomenal for killing kids because what Oaks do is they, they drive between speed humps as fast as they can in low suspension GTIs and then go slowly in between. And so we'd started with all these young oaks, nobody had kids, and then they started having kids and they just wanted to keep the kids alive and said, this is not a good idea. And so even our property was difficult. And so I started bleeding. And, uh, and the bleeding was sore. And you know, if you're bleeding, you need a sage to help you get through. And so God, by his absolute grace, started sticking people around me. And there was a, a psychologist, her name was Claudie. Grant said she was my apostle. But uh, she sat down with me and she, she started to work my soul. And I had a coach who was in Steve's church, and Steve would come along every now and again. And... Uh, there were a bunch of other mates. But they started to work on my soul to bring restoration through some of the most painful spaces in my life. And what I realized in that recovery season, because I could identify with D David who said, my tears have been my food day and night. I, I'd felt like that. I was, I was very close to being depressed. In fact, I'm just too optimistic to get depressed. But that's, that's where I was. What I realized is everyone has their process of how you deal with bleeding. My process is, it's all my fault. It's where I go to first. Work through that. Then I go, it's also those idiots' fault. And then once I've done that, I go to, it's also God's fault. So I, I went through the, it's my fault stuff. And you, if you've led through COVID, you've gone there. It is a battle for your life against shame. That's what you're doing. You're fighting for your life against shame. Because shame is not I did something wrong, I am something wrong. And when you go on that battle, you start to go, there is sin issue in my life and there's transgression. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is when I did the building project and I pushed our church beyond their faith. Stupid. Sin is the way I handled the woman. Transgression is when I sin 
willfully knowing that it's a problem. And I started to realize, man, there's, there's these things I just keep doing. I'm an activator. I just want to start new things. And I've just started and started and started. And I realized this is a transgression issue. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it again. And so I sat with a sage, and she started digging in a little bit, and she said, eventually, because this chick could read my mail, I mean, it was, it was disgusting. Within 20 minutes of my first session with her, she started laughing at me, which I'm sure is irresponsible and non-professional. And then she, she told me exactly what was wrong with me. It was hilarious. And she said to me, Russ, how long are you going to run from your mom's depression? Because my dad used to say to me, go spend some time with your mom, and when she's happy, we can go hunting. Do you know how, how many transgression issues come from some wound because roots determine roots? And I had to dig that one out. I, um, I realized I relationally just went from here to there, to there, to there, to there. Just keep it moving. Uh, I would never sit in people's pain because, uh, because sitting with my mom flipping drove me nuts. And you have to deal with these things. And as you start to deal with them, you, you realize, man, that is driving some pretty funky behavior. I had 150 best mates building the church with me because I had some daddy issues because my old man left me when I was, before I was born. I met him again when I was 28, and I thank Jesus that he left me when, he was, when I was born. But the journey was one of rejection. I tried to fill all the wrong circles with the wrong people. And so she started putting her finger into some wounds, and, and she said to me at the one stage, she said, until, you're, until Jesus at the center and your family around that, and some, you get your circles right, you know, you're... You're three, you're 12, you're 70, you're 120. Until you start getting that stuff right, you are living and continuing to live in a world of pain. And so we began to heal a little bit. And we, we dealt with that stuff. And then, um, and then we started to deal with the other people. Because uh, you know what church is like. You never get betrayed. You never feel like you're taken advantage of it. Just, just smooth sailing. In fact, one of the things that I love about Grant is that he must have got many nicks. I'm sure he got a bunch of nicks, but I've never felt one ever. He just washes them out. And so I started to realize there were people who had outgrown us, and there were people who we'd outgrown. And them going, man, thank you, Jesus. And then I started to realize there were people who actually were just going to be divisive and them going was a thank you, Jesus. And then there were people that I just needed to fight for. And, uh, you know, when you start to work that stuff out, it gives, it gives a little clarity to your soul. So whilst the rest of the church world was going into pain through COVID, I was sort of coming to the end part. But the third part of my journey was to realize that God was involved in the story, that he took me there. And man, that is a freeing day when you can say, you may have meant this for evil, but God intended it for good.
And I can see what you were doing in my soul. And if you didn't do that in my soul, I wouldn't be able to get up again. And I started to recognize, man, an incredible grace. You know, I'm, I come from a Pentecostal. I got saved in a Pentecostal church. So I'm a spirit guy. Uh, I hide it with lots of strategy, but that's who I am. And I, I journaled and spirited my way up until the pain. But when you hit pain, like you get tired of moping. And I became a word guy. Because honestly, I didn't want to journal for another second. And I didn't want a worship song that told me God's coming through. I just wanted some word to give me some stability. And the grace God released in that season to rewrite my life on the word. I became, I became, and I was like a Baptist. I was just word. It, do you know how much that saved me from doing some phenomenally stupid stuff? It just righted me. And then you start to see the grace. And I started to realize that I'd gone through a drought and actually prophesied it. You know when you prophesy dumb stuff? I, I had all our sites together, prophesied this, uh, preached this message about the way trees work is that when a drought comes, their roots go deeper and it's good for the tree because then they can bear more, much more fruit. And then I went through four years of drought. And, uh, but what I realized God was doing is, is he was making me usable again. And the journey started teaching me, man, God will lead you into pain, but Jesus is the one who holds his church, not you, Ross. And you all know that, but it takes loss to know it. And the moment you get there, you can get up in the morning and go, it's going to be okay. And I remember it was probably, I don't know, 12, 12 to 16 months into COVID, I got up the one day, and I went, okay, we can do this thing. Shame's out. Got no momentum. But there's a grace here. There's life here. There's some people I love. And so Olive Tree is now in a season. We planted another site in Mshloti three weeks ago. We've uh, planted a black church into the city. We're not Kicking the lights out, shooting the lights out, but our one service is like 90 to 100% full, and two other services are like 50% full. But I can get through. And I, I don't know where you want to go, Grant, but I would say this. I would presume, because of the journey we've gone on, that there are some of you bleeding. And I want to say there are some sages to walk you through the fight to death that you have right now of shame. Get that off you. There is some word and some grace in it that will literally set you free. And it will empower you then to go, these are the people I need to fight for. And then you will get to the place where you, where you will say, what they intended for evil, you've used for good. That's me. Ross, firstly, um, you're a gift to the body, but I 
was talking to a young preacher the other day who was a little bit distressed about 